you have your Bibles, you can open them up and turn them to Acts chapter 15, or if you have your, your smartphone or whatever device you might have. We're going to continue in our series, Unstoppable, this morning. Uh, I remember many years ago, I came to Christ, and I started attending a church, and in that church, it seemed like everyone got along. The pastor was there over 20 years, and people were coming to Christ. People were, were growing in Christ, and but almost everyone was involved in a small group or a discipleship program. And everyone was so nice and kind and loving and everything. And I looked at church as kind of a family. It was just that family. Everyone was there for praying for one another. We, when you became a member of that church, they sang a song, Welcome to the Family, We're So Glad You've Come. You ever hear that song? Welcome to the Family. They sang that song. And I thought to myself, this church world thing is, is wonderful. It's amazing to be a part of something like this. Little did I know in the coming years that God was going to place me right in the middle of this church world. And little did I know that experience that I had way back then was light years from what church family and what it was that where it says, welcome to the family, we're so glad you've come. And it's so sad, but you see that so many times. And so many people have that take from church. I remember attending in church when, when the pastor was trying to lead a business meeting one time. And he was standing up there trying to lead it. And people began to stand up from the congregation, shouting at the pastor, shouting him down and shaking their fist. And I couldn't believe that was happening. I'd never seen that happen in my life. And I remember uh, a few weeks later that a pastor got up with his wife and his five children sitting there in the seats. And he shared with the congregation he was going to be leaving. And he was resigning immediately. And there was all kinds of people that stood up from the congregation, started applauding and clapping, glad to see him go. And it's just a devastation for that pastor and his wife and his children who were sitting there. That picture was frozen in their minds forever, what happened at that, right there at that church for him. And that young pastor, who I thought was an amazing, he was, he was a great pastor, never pastored another church because of what happened to him that day. And that, that, that freeze frame was in, in their minds forever. Forever they had that freeze frame. And, and, and because of what happened in that church, it affected that church and that community for years. And that image was also frozen in my own mind. Remember what happened to him. I, I have done funerals for people, and you would think that funerals bring people together, and many times after the funeral, after the luncheon, you see that people start to have tension and arguments, and sometimes those arguments lead to lawsuits. Conflict, conflict. This year, four to eight million born-again Christians will file lawsuits, and many of them against their fellow believers, against fellow Christians. The divorce rate for a Christian husband and wife is about the same as outside of the church. 1,500 pastors will leave ministry this month just like they did last month and the previous month. And many of that is from conflict inside of the church. Conflicts are inevitable is what we have. They've been part of life since the fall in the garden, right? But all, not all conflicts are directly related to sin. We know that, right? The early church got started. And it was an unstoppable force we see in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, it says they had everything in common. And there wasn't anybody had a need because people sold their goods, sold, sold their belongings to meet the needs of people. They were ministering to one another. And then in Acts chapter 6, we have a conflict. And then here in Acts chapter 15, where we are today, there's two conflicts that take place. So hopefully you have your Bibles turned to Acts chapter 15. As I said, you can get an outline right outside those center doors at the ministry counter. But there are two major conflicts that we find here. And from these conflicts, we have find four principles that we can uh, find from Scripture that will help us in problem solving, help us with a kind of conflict resolution. 
But let's look at the problems so we can understand the problems. By the way, I'm not going to read all of chapter 15. I'm going to give that to you. That's your homework assignment. Read it. Get more of the details. I'm going to give the big picture of the story. But the first problem there was a theological problem was taking place inside the church. A problem was based on principle. You find it in the first 35 verses of Acts chapter 15. What happened? Some men came from Judea, from the Jerusalem area, and they traveled about 300 miles north to, to the church of Antioch, where the congregation is mostly Gentile. And these men came, and it says, in order to be a true follower of Jesus, that you Gentiles have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Well, that would cause a disruption inside the church, right? You can expect that. That created all kinds of problems. If somebody said that today, that would create problems in our church, right? You say, what? You got to do that? They had to deal with this. But the bigger underlying issue wasn't the issue of the law of Moses. It wasn't the issue of circumcision. The bigger issue was what is the gospel? What is the gospel? That was the issue. Because if the gospel is faith in Jesus alone and something else, in this case circumcision, then that changes the nature of the gospel. And that really changes the message of the gospel. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, and I mentioned it last week, he said, if we change the, the message to another gospel, that's a horrible thing because it's no gospel at all, and it can't save anyone. See, this conflict needs to be resolved, not only for their time, but for the years to come, for the years to follow, all the churches to follow. If Jesus is plus, if you remove circumcision now from that, and you add something else today, Jesus plus this, it's the same issue. You change the gospel. So they have to resolve this. It's a big issue, big theological issue. The second issue we find is in verses 36 through 41. It's an interpersonal issue between Paul and Barnabas is what we find. But it's interesting. Their first conflict in the verse 35 verses, Paul and Barnabas are in the midst of this together. They're on the same side as what we find. They're fighting together for their own beliefs. In verses 36 to 41, the second conflict, we find Paul and Barnabas on the opposite sides of this. They're at odds with one another. There's a big problem here that they have. In the same chapter, we find this. They're fighting together. Later in the chapter, they're against one another. The difficulty in this second problem was that Paul and Barnabas had gone on a first missionary trip. It was wonderful. John Mark was with them. But for some reason, John Mark had left in the middle of the first missionary trip. The Bible doesn't tell us the reason he left. I, I, I did some research, and they come up with maybe three main possibilities that I wanted to share them with you. One of them was they thought maybe John Mark was young, and he thought, man, going on a missionary trip is going to be all singing and fun, just good times. And he soon find out there was persecution. He soon find out that someone was stoned. People were throwing things at him. He says, man, I'm going back home to mom, and he left. The second possibility that John Mark went on this mission trip, and he saw that the trip was moving away from the Jews to the Gentiles, and he was a Jewish, and perhaps he thought, I didn't sign on a trip to the Gentiles. Maybe he had a little prejudice, and he says, I'm going back home. I'm leaving. The third possibility that John Mark was related to Barnabas. The Bible says they're, they're cousins, they're related. And he saw a leadership shift from Barnabas to kind of Paul now. And he says, maybe along the way, he says, you know, I'm committed and dedicated to Barnabas. I don't want to be on a Paul's mission trip. So he left and went home. We don't really know. We don't really know the reasons. Those are the three main possibilities that people say about him. But nevertheless, in the middle of this mission trip, in the first mission trip, he left Paul and Barnabas and he went home. Now Paul comes and he's saying to Barnabas, Hey, Barnabas, we ought to go on a second missionary trip. We ought to visit all the churches we had started on that first missionary trip, and we ought to do that. And Barnabas says, Man, I'm all for it. Let me just pack my bags, and let me go get John Mark so we can go. And Paul goes, Wait a minute. 
John Mark's not going with us. Barnabas says, oh, yeah, John Mark's going with us. Paul goes, no, he's not. Barnabas says, yes, he is. They have a conflict, and it's got to be resolved, right? Major conflict. From these two stories, let's learn four principles how to solve conflict. And this can help us, whether it be in conflicts in a church, conflicts in a marriage, conflicts in a business par partnership, or conflicts in interpersonal relationships. They can, this can help us. So four principles to learn in conflict. The first one is, and it should be the most obvious, acknowledge the problem. Acknowledge the conflict you have to do, right? In both accounts, the prob problem is clearly understood and identified. In each instance, we see the issue is handed, handed, uh, handled in a timely fashion. We fi find in this passage that they're honest about the problem. They see the problem and they, they identify it. They don't try to question the problem. They identify the problem. But this seems to be a no-brainer to say that, but it isn't. Many people look at problems today and say, there's a problem. They say, I don't see a problem. You see a problem? I don't see a problem. One of the biggest lies inside and outside of marriage is someone to come to and say, what's wrong? And what does someone say? Nothing. When everybody knows something's wrong. Many times that's what happens. So it begins by identifying the problem and admitting we have a problem and let's deal with the problem in a timely fashion. Not say, yeah, there's a problem. We'll deal with that next year or two years. In a timely fashion, deal with it. Have you ever watched the miniseries, The Hatfields and McCoys? Anybody ever see that? The miniseries? It's a tragic story because you know what happens in the story. You know how, how it's going to end. It's not a happy ending. We don't have reconciliation that takes place there. It didn't happen. There was a controversy that happened there, and, and because it happened, they started fighting, and they started killing each other. After decades later, they asked the Hatfield and McCoys, what was the issue about? They couldn't remember the issue, why they were fighting. All they knew is now the issue was the name. That if you had the Hatfield name, the McCoys wanted to kill you. If you had the McCoy name, the Hatfields wanted to kill you. So much they wanted to shoot and kill you. They hated the name, right? The more time elapses and conflict resolution is pushed away, the more opportunity for bitterness, malice, and anger to take place in the issue. And no longer it's the, it's the issue or, or anything related issue anymore, but it's now how that issue was handled or how it was not handled. No longer did the people care about the issue, what first took place, but it's about how it was handled or it was not handled. Here, the Bible says they were honest about the issue. And they, they said, there's an issue, we have a problem. They identified the problem, and they acknowledged the problem. That's the first step, acknowledge the problem. The second principle to learn in conflict is listen and discuss the problem. Listen and discuss. The story takes place at Antioch. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they came from Jerusalem, these Jewish men. They came up to Antioch, and they shared this, that unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. To a predominantly Gentile congregation, how do you think that's going to take place? They're going to resist this. There's going to be a problem, right? So Paul and Barnabas leave, and they go back, leave Antioch, and go to Jerusalem. Why is that really important? Because in Jerusalem are the apostles. And the apostles were men who were commissioned by Jesus. The apostles were men who were later going to write the books of the New Testament as we know it. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but these are men that are going to write this. So Paul and Barnabas come to Jerusalem. They come here and they come together, and the elders of the church of Jerusalem come together, which is really Jewish. And the apostles were there, and Paul and Barnabas were there, and, and the church of Antioch was there. And the Bible says they were discussing this. 
in Acts chapter 15, verse 7, right? It begins, after much discussion, each person got to share their side of the story. They shared their beliefs. And finally, James gets up, and he shares a different perspective to try to resolve this conflict. And he gets up and he shares how God brought the gospel to the Gentiles, according to Acts chapter 10, we have that. And that how God had given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, it says here, in Joppa and Caesarea, the same way he did in Jerusalem. And now he goes on, he says that these Gentiles were children of God. That these Gentiles were followers of Jesus Christ. And they were uh, believers in Jesus, and they were Christians. And they needed to be able to live without the restrictions that the Jews were going to place upon them. And they came to this conclusion, and they put it in a document, and they put it in a document, and they sent off uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they sent off these other two men to go back to Antioch with this letter. And they did all this to try to resolve a conflict is what they were doing. And those other two men went as witnesses of the process that took place to go there and say, yeah, this took place. We were witnesses of everything that happened. So in the first conflict, what we have, we have a theological dispute. We find there was listening, there was discussion. They wanted to resolve the issue. The second conflict of Paul and Barnabas, we don't have much evidence of here. We have 35 verses of the first conflict, but we only have verses 36 through 41 of the second conflict. Six verses, that's all we have. We don't have a lot of detail. But what we do have is what we know about Paul and Barnabas, right? We know a lot about them from the scriptures. We know they were godly men. We know they were great men of God. They were, we know we, they were men controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. And yet they couldn't come to, to a consensus. They couldn't reconcile their differences. They couldn't come to a resolution of what was happening here between them. They couldn't do that. Did they listen? Did they discuss? We'd have to presume they did, but the Bible doesn't give us that information. But listening and sharing are absolutely critical in conflict resolution. Am I the only husband that sometimes I speak when I should be listening? Tell me I'm not the only one here. It happens on all sides. Wives do the same thing too, right? We speak when we should be listening. If there's a conflict, whether it's a big issue or, or a little issue, it, it, it's usually not a big theological issue like we have in the first 35 verses of Acts chapter 15. It's usually something very small. Yet we have our beliefs, and we dig in on our beliefs, don't we? And we want to convince the other person the value and the wisdom, our superiority, our, our position, so we talk. And many times, instead of talking when we should be listening, right? We shouldn't be speaking, and we should be listening what others are saying. Communication is creating understanding between people. What it communicates. I've never been able to understand while I'm speaking. Any better while I'm speaking, have you? That where you're talking, I understand the issue better while I'm speaking. That's why we need to stop speaking, stop talking, and we need to listen. And oftentimes we hear from the story from the other person, that's what you were thinking. I'm glad I know now. I wish I'd have known that from the beginning. That's why we should have listened. We should listen before we speak. We see in the political arena today, we see everyone talking and not listening to the other side, and everyone speaking over the other person because they dig in and what they're what they believe, their issues, and they don't care what the other side believes. And they just speak. That's why you have conflict constantly in Washington. No one's listening. No one's willing to compromise. No one's listening to the other side. They just want to share what they believe. And they dig in. We find in this story what's great is they're listening. There's discussion. There's debate. They seem to have a spirit of trying to work this out, to find, to find God's will. And that leads us to the third principle. Seek God's guidance on the problem. See, listening to each other is not enough. We got to listen to God. We got to seek God in this. The difference between the two conflicts is huge. 
the first one was principle. The second one is preference. There's a huge difference. The first conflict was huge. It was theological what was taking place. The second one was personal or interpersonal what was happening. The first conflict was huge, and they had to deal with this. They had to come up, but they had to seek God to deal with this. We find that in Acts chapter 15, verses 15 through 17, when James is speaking, he's referencing the prophet Amos from the Old Testament. And he says in verse 17 that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And that's what they were doing, that they seek God. God, what do you want us to do here? If you look down in verse 28, it says this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us what they were going to do. And so what we find, there was dependence on the Holy Spirit of God to try to, in the process of trying to resolve this conflict in the first 35 verses, what we have. They were seeking God to resolve it. In the interpersonal conflict, you don't find in those six verses, you don't find a lot of detail or evidence they were seeking God's guidance, do you? You don't see that at all. But you make the assumptions, based on what you know about Paul and Barnabas, that they should have prayed about this. God, help us to resolve this. Help us to come to a conclusion where we're going to resolve this and do the right thing. See, in conflict, sometimes uh, church leadership needs to get involved, as it did in the first conflict, where people sometimes in interpersonal relationships, where people will come to the church it, through marriage couples, through business partners, and they're coming to say, we tried to work this out. What we need is right now is to have an objective, biblical perspective. So we can have that from you so we don't turn on each other because we want to honor Jesus for what's going on in this conflict we're having in business partnerships or whatever it may be. See, reconciling conflict, resolving conflicts has to include seeking God and his advice, right? It has to include seeking God's word, not only in terms of wisdom and needed decision-making, but also the grace of the process, how to deal with other people. If there's a conflict, there's two on two sides of this. And if you're on one side, you need to have God's grace. God, how am I going to deal with this person? May I deal with, them, deal with them in grace, in loving, with mercy, forgiveness, all those kind of things, right? The fourth principle we find is agree on a resolution to the problem. In the first 35 verses, it was the whole church. We find in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. An agreement is applied in the wording there in the letter that they sent from Jerusalem to Antioch. And with this, they came to a conclusion, and the conclusion was very simple is what they came down to. We do, you do not need to be circumcised, required by the Old Testament law of Moses to be saved, is what they came down to. And they wrote it in verse 19 and 20. This is what is implied here. It is my judgment, therefore we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. These weren't necessary for salvation, is what they were saying. These things, were, they should be, have a lifestyle as a result of salvation, is what they were saying. But the only thing necessary for salvation was who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and what he did for you. He died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what was necessary for salvation. All these other things should be a result of salvation is what they were saying. And they came to that conclusion. Aren't you glad they did? They satisfied that for us? We, many of us on this service, we wish there was no conflicts, right? Don't you wish there was a world of no conflicts, never have conflicts? But conflicts arise. Even in churches, conflicts arise. And those conflicts have to be dealt with in a timely fashion. You have to deal with those. 
In those first 35 verses, they dealt with it with such precision when you look at what they did there. They did it with biblical insight. They did it with apostolic authority is what they did. So for centuries to come, when someone wants to come and say, hey, I want to add something to gospel, we can go back. So no, 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 you can't do that. It takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem where they said you can't add anything to the gospel. Not circumcision, not anything to the gospel. So if anybody wants to add anything, it goes all the way back to there. So they satisfied that conflict resolution way back then for you and I today. It's so important they did that. They didn't let that go and say, oh, we'll deal with that sometime later. They dealt with that in a timely fashion, and it affects every church, every generation, all the way up today and into the future of that decision that they made there. Declare it by us for us today, what they did. Was it resolved with Paul and Barnabas? I wish I could tell you that Paul and Barnabas, uh, you know, Paul didn't want to take John Mark on the mission trip. Barnabas did want to take him. And they came together and said, let's pray about it. And after they prayed about it, they came back and they decided whether they should take him or not take him. I wish I could tell you they did. But after this whole process, they couldn't reconcile. They couldn't come to an agreement. So they went in different directions is what the Bible says. And Paul took Silas and they started a second missionary trip. Barnabas took uh, John Mark and they went to Cyprus to minister the gospel there. They do ministry there in Cyprus. What do you do with interpersonal relationships? Well, you have a preference issue, and you can't come to an agreement. What do you do? This is really important to figure this out. This is really important. Remember, you move on without sinning. And it's so important to understand that. You move on without sinning. You do everything you do to kind of reconcile it, to kind of come to an agreement in the conflict. But if you can't come to an agreement in the conflict, you move on without sinning. Well, you say, uh, how do you know that they did that? Paul and Barnabas did that. Can you imagine Barnabas leaving with John Mark and him leaving and said, man, John Mark, I am so upset with Paul. That guy, he, he's so into himself. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He's so stubborn. He's so set in his ways. He thinks he's so much because he's going to write some books of the Bible, and he's doing his thing. I'm so upset with him. And what we're going to do, we're going to go to Cyprus, and we're going to share the name of Jesus, and we're going to have a good time doing it. Can you imagine what you know about Barnabas doing that? Can you imagine him doing that? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul doing that? Not at all. And they went in different directions. But later on, the Bible tells us that Paul wrote in one of his letters that he says this, is John Mark is profitable to me in my ministry. So later on, this got reconciled. Later on, something happened. The Bible doesn't tell us details, but find out something happened. But for whatever reason, at that time, Paul didn't think John Mark was ready to go on that next missionary trip. He didn't think he was ready so he, because he quit the first one. For some reason... Barnabas the encourager thought maybe if we spend some time with John Mark, if we pour our lives into John Mark, he'll be ready. He'll be valuable to you, Paul, in the future in your ministry. And you look at this and who was right? Who do you think was right? Now, rhetorical question. I don't need to answer. Who do you think was Paul or Barnabas? Would you say Paul or Barnabas was right? You know, I, I looked at this, and over the years, they, I've come to the conclusion that who really cares? It doesn't really matter who's right, right? The Bible doesn't really tell us who was right here. Uh, there's some that will say in verse 40, if you looked at verse 40, the church committed the Apostle Paul in his trip. So it's like the, the church was taking his side on this. They said, but that's not definitive. We don't really know. And it's good that we don't know. We don't know who was right, you know, what happened. By the way, though, I do want to make this. There are some who take this passage and they abuse it. They take it out of context and they have some family argument and they go in their different directions. And they say, you know, sometimes God does this 
look at Paul and Barnabas. And that's taken out of context. That's what it's meant. And sometimes there would be church splits, not from doctrinal issues from the first 35 verses, but there'd be preference stuff, over preference stuff, over personalities. And sometimes it will illegitimately use the last six verses of Acts chapter 15 to say this was God. And sometimes this is what God does. He'll take one church and make it into two. That's not correct. That's not biblical. That's not in the context of this passage. Sometimes all that's happening is rationalization, uh, covering up of sin of some sort, where they dig under a preference and people want their own way and those things happen. But that's not what was happening. That's not what we're, we're looking at here. That's not what God wants us to take this passage and run with it. And God's our right to have conflict and people go their own way. And that's not what he's talking about here. He's just giving this example. Let's make sure we have these four principles down. They're so important. Admit you have a problem. Listen and discuss the problem. Seek God's guidance. Agree on a resolution to the problem if it's all possible. If you can't and it's a preference issue, move on without sinning, right? Move on without sinning. We need to do that. I want to share a couple more thoughts that's not in your notes from this to kind of come away with this. Couple of, first one is God uses conflict. You know that, doesn't he? He uses conflict in life. Not all conflict is a result of sin. And as earlier as I said, I'm so thankful for the first 35 verses that God resolved that conflict for all of eternity, for us today. It's so thankful that he resolved that so nobody can come in and say, you know, it's, it's Jesus plus baptism or it's Jesus plus whatever it is to add to it. It's Jesus plus church membership. No, it's Christ and Christ alone. That Acts chapter 15, those first 35 verses tell us that. And so if anybody comes to you and you try to add anything to the gospel, Acts chapters, if you go from verse chapter 1, verse 35, share that. The Council of Jerusalem, settle that once and for all. I'm so glad that we have that in Scripture. Conflicts happen even in our closest relationships, don't they? You probably have been in conflict with others. We all have. Paul and Barnabas, on the same side in verses 1 through 35. On the opposite sides in verses 36 through 41. They're in the foxhole together. They went to Jerusalem together. They went on their first missionary trip together. They were abused and persecuted in that first missionary trip, but now they had a big conflict. It happens in life, doesn't it? Sometimes with the closest people to us. When I stop and think about conflict, you know, all the conflicts I've had in my life, probably the person I've had the most conflict with is the one I, my wife, right? The one we're closest to. I mean, I, you have issues at work and have conflicts with people at work once in a while, but don't we have disagreements with our spouse and those that are closest to us, those that we love the most, the ones we spend the most time together, the ones we're vulnerable, vulnerable to, the ones we share our ideas with, and they share their ideas with, and we have disagreements, don't we? Let's be honest, don't we? There's disagreements. may not be major ones, but there's disagreements and there's conflict that takes place. And, and, and so expect conflicts that we have in our lives. Now we have to work through those conflicts, and that's good. We've got to work through those. That we always don't get our way, and we're always not right, right? We have to see that, and it helps us become a better person. In marriage, it's our right to have conflict. It's our right to have disagreements. It's our right to have different opinions and still love each other. Just because you have an argument or conflict or a disagreement doesn't mean you don't love each other, right? We can still have those and still love each other. But because of your differences, you will have conflicts. Conflicts are a wonderful opportunity to draw closer to Jesus and to draw closer to each other. To learn more about the other person. 
your, your spouse or a close friend or whatever it may be, or a relative or somebody, that you learn about them, and they learn about you. And it's a great way to do that. My question, do you have conflict today? Do you have conflicts in your marriage? Do you have conflicts in your relationship? Sometimes it's preference, and sometimes it's principle. How do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? Sometimes we get so dig in, dug in on the preference issues and, and become so fired up about those preference issues that we turn those preference issues with all the emotion and we make them kind of a principle issue. We take that. So how do we know the difference? How do we tell the difference between a preference and a principle? It's the Bible. You find it in the Bible. You see, you see, you look at the Bible. Does the Bible speak directly, explicitly, or strongly, implicitly? Strongly implied through the Bible about that issue. If it is, it's a principle. It's a principle. And it's real important. If it's not, if it's not found in Scripture or lightly found in Scripture, it's a preference issue. It's all right to disagree on preference issues. It's all right to do that. And what we do, we try to resolve it, and if we can resolve it, that's great. But if we can't resolve it, we move on without sinning. It's so important to realize that. It's, in other words, we come to a decision say that I choose to agree to disagree with you. doesn't mean we have to part ways. We can still be friends. We can still minister together, right? But we choose to agree to disagree on that issue. That's all it is. I choose to agree to disagree. We still be friends, but we move on without sinning. We move on without talking behind the other person's back, trying to tear them down. We move on to honor Jesus. Amen? That's what we do in conflict resolution. And sometimes it's simply come and say, I choose to agree to disagree with you, and that's it. We're going to move on. We're not going to sin. We're going to keep moving on. Conflicts are inevitable in our life. They allow us the opportunity to become more like Jesus every day. Those conflicts that God is molding and shaping us to be more like Jesus. In fact, our whole marriage relationship, our marriages and our close relationship are a test of how spirit-controlled we really are. That it don't always get my way. That my opinion's not always the right opinion, right? My way's not always the right. That I got to yield to God and also compromise in that relationship that I'm in. And it shows that we got to be spirit-controlled every day. It tests my allegiance to Jesus, my walk with Christ every day, does it not? Because every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we want our own way. We want to do our own thing, be our own person. And now we have somebody else there, and they want their own way. So there's always tension. And it's you and I yielding to the Holy Spirit every day in our relationships, in our work relationships, in our friendship relationships, in our family relationships, every day doing that. Conflicts are difficult, and, they're, and they're, they're painful. And some of you I know have had issues and conflicts at work. And some of you have issues at home. And, and some of you maybe have not spoken to a son or daughter maybe in years. And you know what conflict is all about. And you would do anything, anything to resolve that conflict, wouldn't you? With that loved one, that, that friend, with that family member, or whatever it may be. Let's invite God into our conflicts. Let's come and say, God, I, I need your help in the conflict to bring the peace that we need in that. To give us a passion for unity that I really, really want to be unified with the person. Have that unity. To bring wisdom for resolution. And to give us the grace on moving on without sinning. That we don't because we have a conflict and disagreement, so many times the natural thing is to, to cut that person down to make us look good. That we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't sin. We honor Jesus. Even if we disagree with them, even if we think we're totally right and they're totally wrong, we don't do that. We, we still honor Christ with our lives. And, and, and I want to pray for all of you that have conflict, but I thought this is a great way to move in.